What's up, everybody? This week, Sarah and I talk about the album that was the catalyst of the Britpop scene. Park life. That and a whole lot more is to come, because maybe all the people, so many people, do like Marmite. Welcome to the show. All right, everybody. Bad pun aside. Welcome back to the 90s podcast right here on the Because Movie Network. Hope you are doing fantastically fantastic. And yeah, it is good to be back. Welcome Yay! to season Welcome to season 7. <laughs> and as you can tell, I am not alone. I am joined by Chief Whipcracker Extraordinaire Sarah, Sarah, how you doing? I am fabulous, and I'm excited to be back. How yeah, are you? I'm doing good. Just remember to say hello to all the people. So many So many people. people. <laughs> yes, we are here to talk about the great album Park Life. Park Life by Blur. Before we get going, guys and gals and everybody in between, if you uh, like what you hear, go to our social media pages. Go to Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. You'll find us at Because Maybe Network. Uh, go to our YouTube channel, bit.ly slash bmnetwork-youtube. And of course, if this is not be if you were not hearing this on your favorite podcast place to go, if you just kind of wandered over it, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn. Woohoo! So, Sarah, it is good to have you back. Have you been uh, studying during our off time? You know it. Because this is, be- is going to be a pop quiz. Okay. Okay. So we are here to Hit talk. Me. Now, we got a slight format change, as you can probably tell. We're not going to go with the introduction BS, because last time we tried it, we missed Tiger King. So, you know, and the Australian <laughs> wildfires and um, this pesky yeah. little coronavirus thing this that's going on. 2020 around. is not the year to do pre-recorded with news canned because yeah. you're going to end up everything's changing so fast it's ridiculous everything is changing so fast but one of the things that didn't change so fast was british music in the 90s and that's why we're here we're going to be talking about <laughs> what many people consider to be the catalyst to the Britpop movement mm. i mean there were other albums out at the time but they think mm-hmm. this is the catalyst this is 1994's park life by blue okay okay so Let's get the uh, information out the way for all the stats and, and, and people numbers, okay? This album came out on the 25th of April, 1994. Mm-hmm. It did not chart on the Billboard charts. Correct. Which is surprising to me because the other two albums that preceded this mm-hmm. did. Not very high, right. but they, they did. Uh, this was number one album on, on the UK chart, obviously. Right. Um, and it sold in excess of two and a half million copies worldwide. Fabulous. Um, it was produced by Stephen Street and Stephen Haig, and of mm-hmm. course the band Blue itself. And for all you label people, this was produced on Food Records or EMI, depending on which way you wanted to look at. Right. Okay, so let me tell you a story. Okay. And let's gather go, around, children. Let's gather around. Listen, listen to Grandpa Simpson, because remember, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one time I wanted to get a new heel for my shoe, so mm-hmm. I tied an onion to my belt. Mm-hmm. It was the style at the time. So, anyway, I'm not going to go into all that, Uh, which, by the way, annoys the kids so much. Um, Okay, so let's go back in time. Let's take our wonderful, wonderful time machine 30 years ago. I hate you. Yeah, I know. I hate me too. Um, To to Halcyon Days. Halcyon Days of 1990. We just had a new decade. Hair metal was going away. Nirvana weren't big yet. And the Stone Roses had just basically blown away the British music scene, okay? Okay. A lot of British labels were looking for kind of similar bands to that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's this little s- southern cockney band called Seymour who uh, changed their name to Blur. Right. And released a double A-side single called I Know slash mm-hmm. She's So High. And it didn't really go anywhere. Right. You know, because it, it didn't. But then in early 91, 
they released a song called There's No Other Way. And the music press absolutely lost their shit. Really? Yeah. Like, it got number six in the charts. Um, the, the, The hook of the song was the drum beat and the bass line. And the style in which they did was unusual for, like, a pop song back in that day. Okay. And British Music Press falling all over them, thought they were going to be the next next big thing. You know, Stone Rose is going to be a little while releasing a new album. So there's this blue band coming along. Hey, they, they sound really, really good. You know, um, it was funky as opposed to traditional full bar rock. And the rest of their debut had debut album, Leisure, had similar stuff. No, nothing really as good. Um, especially when you consider that I Know was an al- wasn't an album track. It was never released on any albums, which would have been right. you know, in a similar vein. But the problem was, is that Blur have always been, or were always, up until 1995, a cheeky, chappy, jingly mm-hmm. British pop band. Right. You know? And when I say British pop band, I don't just mean like from Britain. I mean, they would, it, I say British, they were decisively English. Right. And Southern English at that. Oh, yeah. So they weren't working class. They were the soft Southern shandy drinkers. Yes. Now, I want to clarify something before we carry on here. I got a message on our YouTube page a couple of months ago mm-hmm. when we were talking about um, the dichotomy in the UK between right. North and South and right. how in America... It's reversed. It's, it's reversed. And somebody was That's like... That's how I have to explain it yeah, to people here. Somebody was like, well, in Chicago and New York and Pennsylvania, they have hardworking, working class people. I understand that, and that's they. Right. Have, they have hardworking class people in Colchester. It's just when you think of salt of the earth, Rust Belt, Rust Belt. Yeah, it's 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 the South in America, and it's the North in the United Kingdom. Right, right. You, I mean, it's it's you were there's hardworking people in all fifty states. Yeah, yeah. But it, it it's when you th- when you think of how, when you think of lower class working Americans, you think of somewhere with an accent going yeehaw yeehaw, you know. Which is not. I'm gonna cut cor- you. Well, it's not. It's not correct. <laughs> but that's what most people outside of the United States think. I gotcha. And when they think of hardworking British dudes, they think of the dudes in the flat caps and the cotton shirts right. and you know stuff like right. that. Okay. So Please, I had to sir, get that, can we have get, another? Yeah, I had to get that off uh, that off my chest. Okay. But the problem is, is going back to the, the cheeky, chappy English Southern, you know, Cockney style mm-hmm. of, of of pop music. Grunge hit the UK in the in the very very early nineties. Right. So the kids have got a choice to listen to songs about Sunday dinner and war memorials and British commercials or songs that kind of speak to them coming from bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, uh, bands like R.E.M., you know. Well, yeah, they're going to pick the other. Yeah. So unfortunately for Blue, Modern Life is Rubbish was not really a huge success. I mean, critically, the critics thought it was good. Right. But you know it was just again it was too english mm-hmm. and the problem is as well is their their next big thing tag also went away because after a top six single with there's no other way everything between that and girls and boys which was basically their second single to the 10th single didn't chart in the top 25 right now over here correct me if i'm wrong the billboard top 200 if anything shows up on that list it's mm-hmm. considered a hit right correct and it's because there's so much music in you know it's such a big country so much is released at, at, right. at a certain time in britain it's top 40 okay but if something doesn't chart in the top 20 it's not really it's not you know it's just there right you know and having a bunch of stuff chart under 25 you know blue i mean or, you're a working band but you're yeah. not a hit band yeah and unfortunately you know 
they started becoming the afterthought in the music press. They went right. from the next big thing to, oh, yeah, Blue's ca- Blue. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I remember those guys. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they were upset. They were traveling promoting this album that their record label didn't like, that the music press didn't like, in a country they, they weren't particularly fond of. Not in the I hate America and its lifestyle kind of way, but I hate America because it's not England, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they were homesick. They were drastically homesick. And Damon Albarn was listening to the BBC World Service. And at that time, it was very, very businessy and British and, you know. what It was a, it was a pre-worldwide global world at that point, right? I follow. Okay. So, Damon, depressed, homesick, and hating all this grunge nonsense that he thought... Mm-hmm. Ironically, did something punk, <laughs> and that was continue to write the traditional British pop songs that he liked. You know, the right. four chords, the the, the, right. the characters, and you know, he just he he wanted to write what he called classic British pop music. So, they start writing this up. Now, the band are about to go up financially. Because they've spent all their advance and the, the right. label doesn't want to... The label can't afford to keep paying them. Not because they're expensive, but they see them as a waste of money and a waste of resources. The band is about to go down. And with their last amount of cash, they recruit Stephen Street to produce an album. And around about this time, this is like early 93, mid 93. The tides are changing in British music and suddenly British bands are starting to be cool britannia not quite almost not quite more along the lines of not quite unhip britannia because <laughs> the shoegazes i britannia yeah yeah decent britannia <laughs> um it went from like the gr- the grunge scene was still there but at the same time like the the um the shoegazing scene the Manchester scene all that stuff kind of not faded away but you know it was it it, there was a lull. There was a lull. And then all of a sudden, Elastica, Pulp, Suede started releasing stuff. Mm-hmm. And the public were like, oh, this British pop music stuff, this pop rock stuff, this this could be interesting. There might be something to that. Yeah. And I mean, they all got really, really good fanfare. Right. Unfortunately for these three bands, the biggest buzz was on this brand new signed band from Manchester who hadn't played a gig <laughs> in London yet and were the hottest independent band around at the time. My boys. The uh, the four guys called um, Oasis? Uh-huh. I wonder what happened to them. Um, <clears throat> so what happened is they, they got in the studio and recorded this album. Right. That became Park Life. Right. And the record label... Excuse my language. The record label shit is chicken. Bacock. They said, oh my God, we're ruined. Because... This album is so English and so Southern English and it goes against everything that we've got going on and, and we need to sound more American. Right. And, blah, blah. and at that point, Food Records was more or less sold to EMI at that point because mm-hmm. they couldn't keep, keep running. Now, unfortunately, or fortu- okay, fortunately for British music, but unfortunately for worldwide music, this is around about the time that Kurt Cobain died. Right. And with all due respect to Nirvana, and I love Nirvana. I do. I, I love Nirvana. Their music was not exactly the happy-go-lucky, you know... Sm- it wasn't meant to be. No, exactly. And then after the lead songwriter is dead mm-hmm. due to an alleged suicide, wink, 
Um, oh, here we go. Now, because th- the lead singer is dead, he, he committed suicide. The kind of the British music press and the British music fans in general needed something a little more upbeat and jolly and right. jaunty. And, right. And, and so the vacuum was there. The, the bands that I mentioned previously had either released their latest releases or right. weren't ready to release anything yet. And Blur came in and bang, there we are. Blur are now suddenly... Bada bing, bada boom. Blur are now suddenly the most hottest band in Britain. So Pop nobody, life. nobody expected anything of this album. The band thought it, it would fail commercially, but they thought it was a damn good album. Nobody predicted that it would go on and sell two and a half million records. In context, Park Life is Blues' second biggest selling album of the original run. Okay. And the, the biggest album was The Great Escape. Right. Which was a couple of years later, the height of Britpop. Right. But they, their, their first two albums didn't sell over 600,000 copies mm. combined. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big jump. So that's a huge jump. That's a huge jump. So... What is the album? The album is 16 tracks of very good to good to poor music. <laughs> agree or disagree? I agree. And it's, it's, it's nothing against any, any of the guys. They worked hard on this album. This was a hardly a hard worked album. But um, basically this, this was written and recorded by Damon Alban, Graham Coxon, Alex James and Dave Roundtree, who we know is Blur. Right. Like most albums in the Britpop time, however, Damon did not sing every track that had a singer on it. Right. And interestingly enough, the guy who usually did the the second string singing wasn't the guy who did the second string singing this time. It was actually bassist Alex James. Ah. Alex James is you've seen you've you've seen David Williams. Right. He they look they they look and act like they could be brothers. Right. And and we'll I'll get to why. But let me tell you a little something about the band first, right? For those of you who don't know, I mean Blue. You guys know Blue over here for song two, right? <laughs> or the Gorillas, or, or the you gorillas. know, or you know, Damon well, from the Gorillas. You know Damon from the Gorillas, but that's not, not that's not necessarily Blue. Oh no, it's not Blur, but it's 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 a lead in for most. It's true, that's like saying you, if you don't know you know the Foo Fighters because of Nirvana. I mean, well, not really. No, exactly. Because you would have heard of Nirvana first. A true, lot of people didn't hear of Blur. True, true. But um, Blue. Okay, Blur came from the same kind of setup as most bands in Britain in the 90s did, okay? They all came from this kind of working class, poor area of town, of the world. Unfortunately, the difference between Essex poor and Barnsley poor is quite drastic, you know? Yeah, it's different definitions of poor. Different definitions of poor. To the eyes of many from the north, Blur were working class guys. Right. Not working class guys, middle class guys. Right. And Blur fought against this image for years and years and years because, hey, we grew up in schools with no money too. We grew up in towns that were decimated right. by Thatcher too, but the decimation up north was, was a hell of a way lot. more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it it just was. And the reason I, the reason I bring that up is... Uh, <laughs> You only got to look at the band, right? In their in their later years, Noel Gallagher, Liam Gallagher, Jarvis Cocker, they made music still, right? Mm-hmm. In their free time, they did a lot of football and sporty stuff. Yeah, right. Alex James made cheese. <laughs> that, yeah, I, pull, I pulled up the Wikipedia yeah. page just to get some information. Alex James is a musician and cheesemaker. Cheese, yeah, cheese, 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 cheese. Not, like not 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 even like you know sliced cheese. We're talking like gourmet. <laughs> 
<laughs> like Brie. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you cool. know, um, Dave Roundtree became an animator. Now he did that in part to you know to go over his alcoholism and stuff like that. Right. But, like they're not what you would expect of working class folks. I don't know anybody in in an industrial town that grew up who's a cheesemaker now. I'm sure there's somebody. Somebody in Manchester makes cheese. No, no. What, what, okay, but I grew up in an industrial town. What I'm, what I'm saying is... Somebody in Port Albert makes cheese. Well, you got to understand, my, my hometown, there's a man Port who Albert. dresses up... Not Port Albert. Sorry. Yeah, there's a, there's a dude in my town who dresses up like a superhero and baked beans and thinks he's a superhero. God bless Barry. But I mean, you know, that's like... Somebody makes closest. cheese. Somebody makes cheese. Okay, so let's get into the aisle. Let's go I try... Could, I could see your sister making cheese. Don't... Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> okay. So let's go track by track, okay, with the album, like we do with these things. And before we get started, let me give you a couple of um, disclaimers. Mm-hmm. David Auburn wrote all the lyrics except for uh, a song called Far Out. Okay. The band, David Auburn wrote the, the, the frame of the music. The band kind of filled it out and tweaked it if necessary. Got it. Okay. Also, all the songs that were written by Damon Auburn with the exception of the two instrumentals, or one and a half instrumentals, depending on how you look at it, they're small stories. And they either revolve around the story or the character. And that's how we wrote up until okay. the end of The Great Escape, okay? So let's start off with the lead song of the album, Girls and Boys. Yeah, this is... Um, most people... If, unless you lived in a major metropolitan area, you know, unless you lived in New York, and, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, um, unless you lived in a major metropolitan area, this is this this is the Blur song you knew before song two. Yeah, this is it. It's it's a really really good song. I like it. I mean, I I, I mean, you... and before we go any further, I need to preface something. I need I need to preface this whole track listing. Okay. Okay. So, um, guys, other than a few singles, I was not familiar with the rest of this album until I was long an adult. And the reason being because of the big blurvy Oasis thing. (laughs) And I was a diehard Oasis fan. And thou shalt not listen to Blur. Well, so unless it was on the radio or in a movie, I didn't know it. Well, the problem was with this, before we go back into Girls and Boys, is that you can't talk about 1994 to 1997. You can't talk about one without the other. They're okay. so intertwined. Okay. You can't. Over like, here, it was completely uh, yeah. different. Okay. So, I mean, I could see where you couldn't because that's what was there. Yeah. I mean, it, it was so, you know, mismatched. And, and you've noticed I've mentioned Oasis three times already. Right. You know. But over here, you, you could very easily make that distinction and you were a blur. Uh, bleh, yeah. You were, <laughs> and you were a blur person and you were an Oasis person. And a, and so, a lot. And, say Beatles versus the Stones. Yeah. And I mean, in, in the press, <laughs> in, in the press, you couldn't talk about one without the other, but they were very, very. Right. There were battle lines drawn. In fact, um, in, in the Oasis book, Getting mm-hmm. High by Pablo mm-hmm. Hewitt, I recommend any oh, yeah. Oasis fan to, to, to get it. They talked about like concerts that either band had to move in certain cities because there mm-hmm. were fights going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was like hooliganism all over again, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, if you were online and back in those early days, and I mean, and... Literally, now back then they couldn't really dox you because that was before, not, not the general public anyway. It's not like it is now. 
but like your reputation would be dragged through crap if they found out that you you know one mind or the other yeah if you if you stepped out on one band with the other and so and it, it was that i mean we live in a very very binary society mm-hmm. it's either one thing or another if you don't like one thing then you automatically like the other thing i mean you know i don't want to go political right now right, right. i want to go too into the oh, weeds on not. that one but if you don't vote for one candidate then you're automatically voting for the other candidate and vice versa which is right. you know which is which is which is stupid anyway so girls and boys right back to uh back to the blue um the baseline on this thing if you if you were a fan of poppy funky baselines mm-hmm. this is the song for you yes i will say this right i never liked the persona that alex james put off in public right he did he seemed like an asshole to me right he seemed like an arrogant piece of crap he wasn't but he seemed that way and but he is a f-ing good bass player yeah he is. he's a he's a damn good bass player you know, and this this baseline right here, if this is what you're presenting as the first and this is the baseline you've got, you've hooked something, you know? Um, this was the first top five single that the band had in the UK and actually broke the Billboard 100 coming in at 61. Yes. So, um, you know, it was the start of the revival. Unfortunately for Damon, he had a panic attack when, he, when it was released. It was his first panic attack because he knew there's no other way it was a false start. But he right. knew the difference between the false start and the, oh crap, this is good. We, the, strap in, lads. We, we, we're going to the moon, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so if you don't know, the story is basically about um, drinking, sex, and drugs on vacation in Greece. Yes. So, typical lad lad song, you know? Which was, which was unusual for them at the time. Because they were seen as more cosmopolitan rather than blatant, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Now, the other thing about Girls and Boys, before we go ahead and move on to the next track, is that, again, I'm not trying to compare. Um, Noel Gallagher said about the infamous battle of Britpop that happened a year later. Yeah. With Roll With It and Country House. Yeah. Noel said those two songs were shit. And if they really wanted to do it right, they should have done it with this song and Cigarettes and Alcohol. Ooh, that would have been a good one. Yeah. And considering they're both pretty much about the same subject. Right. You know. So that lead that so that there goes the there goes the the fun portion. Then we move to a song called Tracy Jacks. Yeah, see, I was not familiar with this song until I was older. Uh, this song right here. It was a really, really good good song, I thought, right? The drums are pretty much standard and you know, again, Alex James knocks it out the park with his bass, right? And it's a story, and this is this is kind of going to be the theme of the album, right? It's a story that Damon Albarn told of a forty-year-old Tracy who was so bored with their life that they decided to fake their own death in a mental breakdown, and then once they got caught, destroyed their own house. Isn't that good, Norwegian Wood? That's sort of yeah, kind of right? yeah. Basically, what it was is that um, they wanted to write something suggestive, right? And they wrote that Tracy was either transgender why they, you know, they tempted the the, the, the faking of the death because they just didn't want to lead the duplicitous life anymore mm-hmm. they were trying to lead. And that is kind of done with the lyrics and in the, the book, the album book, there is a picture of a bearded dude it, fully dressed up. Right. Which I know that's not exactly what it is, but in right. the 90s that was the, you know, that right. was the image of it. Um... One of the lyrics, it sounds really, really obscure, right? It says, the first train to Walton. 
basically, but Damon Albarn found this town called Walton on Sea. It's like mm-hmm. a half-finished seaside town. You you see them in in British TV shows where it's got like the the, the huts, yeah, and the beach, and then the White House, and then nothing else. In right, town. he called those half-finished towns, and he was fascinated by these things. Like, what did these people do for for day-to-day stuff? Right. You know? And so he that's what he wanted to, to write about. And this was supposed to be the lead single on the album. Thank God it wasn't. But again, this is why Blue were considered middle class. They were talking about golf, the yeah. civil service, yeah. Harley Street, which for... Um, which is like the 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 place where all the private doctors and plastic surgeons are in the UK. I think the equivalent of you is what Mulholland Drive. Yes. Yeah. Are, are the, not Beverly Hills. Rodeo. Yeah, Rodeo Drive. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. And you know, it just it again it 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 was the fact that these guys they 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 everybody thought they were middle class when they weren't, but they were talking about crap that the kids didn't like or the kids didn't care about. I should say. You know? Yeah. So, the next song is called End of a Century. Yes, I love this song. I love this song, too. It's um, a good song. It is a good song. Um, it's weird to think about it now, right? Right. You forget how excited people were pre-2000 about the year 2000. Yeah. Before Y2K came and came right. everybody's excitement for that, you know? Um, basically, it, it, it talks about the the upcoming you know the upcoming end of the century end of the millennium whatever and how people contemplate their future and not their present gotcha and there's a line in here that says the end of a century oh it's nothing special and it was cynical it was melancholy but it was delivered in such an upbeat kind of right you like know, that's how damon was that's how he still is though isn't yeah it? I mean, you don't got to listen to the gorillas these days. And, you know, it's still the same. Right. You know? Um, and at the time, I mean, look, it was six years away at that point. We didn't have proper internet back then. And everybody was <laughs> losing their <laughs> because of it. You know? And the first line talks of a home that Damon and Justine Frenchman had that... That was, like, infested with, with ants. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's ants in the carpet. You know? <laughs> Yeah, if you're not if you're not Cockney, you pretty much have to listen to that song two or three times before you can distinguish <laughs> all the lyrics for that song. Yeah, I mean, right? It's... But <laughs> but it tells a story of a couple who are just now going through the motions. You know, it's about how couples get into staying in and staring at each other. Only instead of candlelight, it's the TV light. That is a very, very depressing view on long-term relationships. Yes, it is. And especially considering Damon Album would write his breakup album with Justine Frischman not three years later. Right. You know, it's kind of pathetic. Yeah, and it takes the energy of the album down a little bit. Yeah, the first two songs are a little energetic. Right. And they're a little bouncier. This one kind of, you know, slows the pace down. But the brass section helps with the gravitas of the song, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it does. It, Blur cheated with the brass section. Yeah, how so? Okay. All the other bands at the time, they had to hire a brass section. Mm. You don't have to hire a brass section when you have two guys who can play the trumpet, the trombone, and the saxophone. <laughs> you know? So they That's cheated That's not with cheating. That. No, it's not. But it's, you know. That's it's being better that. equipped. Right? I mean, they they released this as the fourth single. Right. And at that point, you know, the, the, the they were already on high and you know, right. everything was good. And a lot of people were like, they shouldn't have released this. This should not have been the song. 
Right. There's a song called We'll Tell You Later that they wanted to release. A song called We'll Tell You Later? We'll Tell You Later. Okay. We'll get to it later. All right. uh, That's what they wanted to release instead of it. And I think personally they should have done that. And that would have kind of helped them in their image a hell of a lot more. Yes. You know, so... All right, let's let's talk about the title track and the third single from the album. Park life. It's a classic sarcastic view of Englishness as opposed to a celebration of it. Park life. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Basically, put Graham Cox on the guitar and said, it wasn't about the working class, it was about the park class. The dustbin men, the pigeons, the joggers, the things you saw every day on the way to the studio. Ah. It was it, originally sung by Damon Auburn in the studio, but it didn't feel right. Yeah, I just can't imagine the words being sung. No. No, no, no. They must have rewritten it. They must have rewritten it. Yeah. You know, because there's no way Damon could have sung, the, you know, the, the words. Um, so what they did is they'd been uh, negotiating with Cockney actor Phil mm-hmm. Daniels to mm-hmm. come do something on, on the album. Now, Phil Daniels might not be a name you know, but you probably know who he is if you were a fan of uh, rock opera. Okay. Uh, he was a theater actor. Uh, like look, looking at him and the, and the style of role he plays, it was it's hard, it was hard to believe that when I found that out. But um, he basically played Jimmy mm-hmm. in the movie adaptation of Quadrophena by the Who. Oh, and when the original plan fell through, he was offered the opportunity to be the narrator of Park Life. Yep, he accepted but refused to be paid, but took a royalty share. Smart yeah, man. Smart man. <laughs> uh, they uh, they made money off this song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this 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 was the song. Yeah. In in the UK. Yeah. Like whenever you said Blur, you thought Park Life. Right. That was it. That was their song. I mean, for years. I mean, even I guess you say even now you mention Blur, and one of the first things people think of is Park Life. Yes. The the way you can tell a band's signature song is whether or not it's memed or not. Yes. And we'll get to that here in just a second. Um, this song right here was the was a flashpoint. Okay. In the Oasis Blue rivalry. Right. Picture it. 1996. Picture it, Sicily. Yeah. 1996. Picture it, Earl's Court, 1996. Yes. Okay, so let me, let me give the backstory for this. Oasis won Best New Act, Blue swept the rest. Well, yeah, because they couldn't, they, they didn't qualify for Best New Act. Yeah, but I mean, right. but Oasis qualified for Best Album, Best Band, yeah. and Best Video. Yeah. And that all went to Blue, right? And Blue on accepting the best band award said we want to share this with oasis uh-huh and that <laughs> the guys from manchester oh well, yeah it did because that's that's a pity award right there yeah. we don't do pity awards we don't do pity awards I'd, I'd have taken it um we don't need your so next year the guys are up uh-huh. again in three in the three categories again yeah. And this time, Oasis sweep it with uh-huh. uh, Wonderwall, Morning Glory, right. and themselves. So after winning the award, now Oasis are hammered at this point, right? And when I say hammered, I mean, for, for the Brit Awards, they were hammered. Yes. And the Brit Awards are basically a party with an award ceremony yes. tacked into it, right? It's like it's kind of like when you go to a PTA meeting that turns into a school play, you know? <laughs> it's a party and they'll give you a statue every, every couple of hours, right? So when they went up there for the Wonderwall thing... They started singing Park Life in a very, very drunken, full cockney... Yeah, stupor. Oh, the people. It's shite just, life. Yeah, and then so the, <laughs> Liam Gallagher called it shite life, Noel Gallagher called it marmite, and the camera cut to Damon Alban. And he sat there looking humiliated, you know? 
And I mean, you got to understand, the Blue Oasis rivalry was not just a musical rivalry, it was a personal rivalry. Right. Some of the comments that the Baines made about each other, especially Noel to Damon. Yeah, Noel was, Noel, which is hilarious now, because their daughters are besties. And they are almost besties at this point. Yeah. You know, but it's... Well, a, well okay, well, no, 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 Noel and Damon, yeah. not Liam. No, but, but, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, it was like... Liam doesn't let <laughs> die. They, they, they threw some horrible insults at each other. Like Noel said, he wished that uh, the Damon, bass player and uh, oh yeah, wish Damon and Alex got AIDS mm-hmm. and they would they would fucking die. Mm-hmm. And now he, oh yeah, he, he he's he's backtracked on that a million times. He backtracked. He backtracked on it after he said it. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's it, it, the cocaine talking. He said, yeah, which I partly agree with. I mean, he look. Okay, maybe he didn't want to use the choice of words correctly, but... He, he wanted wa- to insult them, but he, he didn't want to He wanted to insult way. them and point out how much he f***ing hated them. Right. You know? And so, you know, Damon's sitting there humiliated. They've already been sped out at the, that point by the music press, too, so it, was, it wasn't a good night for them. But what did happen was that this, this song became... Like, this song made Blue Rich. A little bit, yeah. Right? The music video... Damon Albon, Phil Daniels, they play a pair of shady double-glazing window salesmen mm-hmm. while the rest of the band come around, you know, play in, play in other characters in the, in, in, in the town. Right. And then the football fans picked it up. Mm. So, 1997. There's a place called Hackney Marshes, mm-hmm. right? British, British listeners, you know what Hackney Marshes are. Let me just explain it. It is a giant field. And has right. 80, as of time of recording, full-size football soccer pitches. Oh, hell yeah. Right? It is known as the Church of Sunday League. Gotcha. Like, every week, every Sunday, 160 teams play. Right. On, you should on, pick a on, field. On, yeah. So, what Nike did, or Nike did, is they got the four, four of the biggest, their, their four biggest sponsored players in the UK right. at the time. Eric Cantona, Ian Wright, Robbie Fowler, and David Seaman. And they kind of put them in these Sunday League teams. So, you know, you were seeing Big Dave with a hangover person it to two of the hardest players in, in England at that time. Right. You know, it was it was it was funny. And especially the song got uh traction from the London clubs, especially okay. Chelsea. Oh yeah, of course. Who Phil Daniels and Damon Alban support. Interestingly right. enough, Norwich City got it. They have a manager called Daniel Farker. So they called the song "Fuck Life." Yeah, yeah, and yes, it ha- it has actually become a meme. So whenever you hear somebody say, like, do a complete run-on sentence, right? Somebody will splice it to- in a video. Somebody will splice it together with "Fuck Life." life. Yeah, the- one of the funniest was football player Charlie Aston, who just went on a complete rant. Yeah, game. yeah, I've seen that one. That one's cute. <laughs> that one's very cute. But um, so does this song deserve to be the classic that it is? Yes, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, we said it at the same time. But um, bomb. Yeah, but um, now I'm not a fan of this next song. No, no, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think so either. And this, this kind of uh, the only bank holiday I like is Boneheads, <laughs> and we'll talk about that. Oh, in a we'll few, talk about in that a, in, a, in a couple in a of days. Episodes, Good yeah. lord, um, it is very, very short. It is yes. very, very. It, it, thank God. It sounds like they overdosed on caffeine and got in the studio and just started. Yes. playing, um. But it, it kind of does have a message to it. It talks about what British pe- what English people do over a three-day weekend. They basically cook, drink, 
screw and then panic that they've got to go back to work Tuesday. Honey, that's not a British thing. That's not an exclusive British thing. No, no, I understand that. But But you guys do have more three-day weekends than we do, which is, I'm I'm jelly. The Queen has two for her birthday. Yeah. She has two birthdays. Her Jubilee and then the... No, no, no. Her official birthday and her actual birthday. Oh. Don't ask me why they're different. Just an excuse to... Really? Just an excuse to make more stamps and money, I guess. I don't know. Okay. But the problem is it just really seems out of place. Yeah, I don't like it. It it it's it's there, you know. Yeah. It it just like okay, we need we need we need track five. Uh, here's track five. You know, um, they did they did release a similar song called "We've Got to Fall on You" and a few albums later, but I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't like this style right. of filler song. It's only like a minute long or a minute and a half. Yeah, long, I'm not a big fan. You know, so we're gonna skip that one over. But let's talk about a song called "Bad Head." Okay. Okay. Again, they cheated with the brass. Yeah, but no. it is a great sounding brass intro. It, it is. It is. Um, and you only really have to learn half the song. Yeah. If you're going to sing along with it. Yeah, because they just change the just, URI. Yeah, they just change you know. the pronouns. And there's no, nothing I could find when I was doing the research mm-hmm. that said anything about what the song was about. Officially. Officially. Right. There are actually three things... The three biggest theories, all right? And we love a theory. We love a good fan theory. Yes, we do. Which means that it's probably one, both, all, or none. Or all three, right? Here, you take the first one. Okay, it's about dealing with depression. Uh Uh-huh. I get up around two, two in the afternoon. Right. You know, uh, talking about late starts in the day, Mm -hmm. talking about just getting your head down and getting on with it even though you don't want to. Okay. Which is classic depression. Right. You know? Or it could be about dealing with the toxic relationship. Yeah. Some of the lyrics, again, talk about getting on with it. Yep. Um, because it's not worth the trouble of an argument. Yep. Might as well just grin and bear it because it's not worth the trouble of an argument. Right. You know, and uh, the other one is like, you know, you've seen an old friend for the first time in years. You know, so far we've not stayed in touch. Oh, that's when you make that classic white person face. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, oh, hey, it's. Steve, right? And, you know. Yeah, that that smile, that hmm. <laughs> but y'all know what I'm talking about. But apparently, uh huh. The the most unofficial, unofficial thing came from an obscure interview that Damon Albarn did in a Japanese music magazine. Of course. Well, Albarn's to a Japan. Um, yeah, no, what I'm saying is, of course, it's in an obscure Japanese music magazine. Damon Albarn apparently said that it's about a hangover. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And about and about being teased by his girlfriend about it. Of course. So, you know, just I'll shut up and deal with it. Blah, 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 blah. You know? So, hey, you know. Next song. It's called Debt Collector. I could not listen to this without Weird Al vibes. No, it, it definitely, definitely had uh, a very German sound. Yeah, it's the polka. It's got accordions, tubers, no guitars and keyboard. Right. You know, and it was just... It was very, very blue. Yes. Very blue. Um, basically, this was supposed to have a poem right over it. So it's just be an instrumental track with right. Mr. Parklife himself, Phil Daniels, reading something over it. That's how we they originally got together. Yeah. So they couldn't find a suitable poem. And he didn't want to write one because songwriters, basically songwriting is just poetry without with, with music you know right yeah um, that's sort of that's that's cheating yeah uh-huh. I guess. but um 
it, it just it didn't go nowhere. It lasted longer than it should have. They did get it right on the next album. Yes. With a song called Ernal Same with the right honourable left-wing loony Ken Livingston, mm-hmm. as he was known. Um, and that that was actually a very, very good good track. I like that. But, right. you know, you have to understand the context. Next song. <laughs> you know, this song, this next one, I, I, I can't. I'm going to let John do most of the talking on this one because the song itself gives me a headache. It gives it a very, very bad migraine. Just thinking about it. My brain is twitchy. <laughs> well, I will take all of it. Now, um, this is the only Blur song that was written by bassist Alex James to actually make an album. He had right. some B-sides recorded, but not nothing on an album. He is a very, 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 like, nerd over astrology. Big astrology dude. Um, Which is cool in and of no, itself. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, I'm using nerd, not prerogative at that one. Right? Gotcha. Um I mean, the first Mars probe that that was released a few years ago had a blow song on the probe as kind of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the handshake of hey we made it kind of thing right you know so I mean it's it's very very it, it's what he is part of what he is aside from making right. cheese right uh, <laughs> it's very very psychedelic and it's very very Sid Barrett and see I like psychedelic. Sid, but when you go, you when you go from Jerry Garcia to Sid Barrett, you know, years ago I could have taken the proper drugs to appreciate this song for what it was. But I've had some children since then, and my brain just I can't I can't roll with it anymore, guys. I got old. Ironically, your brain is too uh, too squeaky to deal with it. Yeah, I can't. Um. 18-year-old me would have been all on this. I'll be completely honest, right? I know nothing about astrology. I know things like the Northern Star. I know a bit. Uh, I wondered for the longest time why the hell he was singing about Beetlejuice. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, why the hell is he singing about Michael Keaton in this? <laughs> You're mocking me, aren't you? Yes. Yes. Uh, but it's actually talking about obviously the big star and the right. constellation and stuff like that. But again, it's just it's so weird. It is like a weird, <laughs> weird it's a weird detour. Oh God, I'm crying, y'all. I've yeah. Got, I, oh. And the funny yeah. thing is, you have the same sheet of paper that I have, and you would have read that too if you. <laughs> well, uh, I was I was giving the album another listen to, and then I noticed the last tab talked about how. It you gives me a headache, yeah. and I, I was so stuck on the fact that I have a headache while I'm listening to this <laughs> that I sort of skipped over that bullet point, and I'm sorry because I would have been, I would have ribbed you harder. Yes, well, that, that um, that the only thing good about that song is the uh, is Damon's keyboards. Yes. It's very very up and down spacey, you know. Yes. I could picture it being on uh, 1980s Doctor Who. Mm, you know, I feel that. So. Uh, next song is called "To the End." I like this one. I love I love this song. It's one of my favorite blues songs. It's very very um, classy. Yes. It's like you know putting the box wine in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know what I mean by that, right? I got gotcha. you. It's, it's it's you know what us plebs think is the epitome of class, right? It's got a very very good full orchestra horn section. You can hear the traditional. You can hear the the, the guys playing too, obviously. Right. But I mean, it was a very, very, um, not elegant, but what's the word I'm looking for? Grand. 
arrangement. It has a certain je ne sais quoi, which is, you know, considering that it's got the lyrics in both English and French. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's sung by Letitia Sad- Sadier. Is that my saying that I correctly? I think so, yeah. Of Sadier? Sadier. Of Stereolab. Of Stereolab, yes. Yep. It was also re-recorded in French and as a duet with French singer Francois Hardy. Yeah. I'm probably saying that wrong. I don't know. I, I'm not even going to try because my, my okay. seven non-English I took words. three years of French, but you can't tell. Well, four years if you can't me. Yeah. helping our teenager there you go um they did, they did a similar yeah. so, they did a similar arrangement to the song the universal right you know but th- this one is kind of like for all it's grandioso and you know and everything about it it's about the moment of breakup yeah like when both uh, not not a, not like a it's like a, we tried yeah it's it's at the moment where both people knew that yeah it, it's it's a breakup yeah you know it's time we're over and it's actually, you know, one of those songs that is used at weddings and proms as the slow dance. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. It's sort of like a Green Day's Good Riddance Time of Your Life. Yeah. One yeah. by Blur. Yeah. One by Blur. One that, by, by Blur, YouTube. One by YouTube even. Yeah, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's just like, do people listen to the lyrics before? No, they, they just song? think it sounds happy. I mean, you got to understand, our song, the, 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 the song yeah. we both love is also a breakup song. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So, yeah i guess i guess that's it's people trying to say this is not going to happen to us it's punk well there you go because punk isn't all you know down down with the police it's it's doing something against societal norms mm-hmm. and making your love song a song about breaking up there you go very punk uh <laughs> the I, next one is one of my favorites london loves yep yep uh, go ahead because you are the person that they wrote the song about i know right i'm an anglophile yep uh lyrically it's a critique of the type of young person living in london yep talks about how people love london for its status materialism and lifestyle in turn it talks about how the city seems to love these people for keeping this style going so it's basically about cool britannia it this song it's about cool i mean it's 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 about about what fostered that yeah it's about people who basically they're not londoners they 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 have this picture of london in their head oh yeah and they love it and the people in london and there are people in london who love the idea of people loving london like this yes you know so it's yeah um it's very critical um it does have a lot of samples from BBC 94.9's Traffic Report. Again, yes. true working class, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, the guitar in the song is fantastic, along yep. with the bass line. Yeah, definitely good work from uh, Graham and Alec on this one. Right. And fans believe that this song should have been a single. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a Stone Cold favorite from the year mm-hmm. uh, by, by yeah. a lot of fans. Yeah, and it's also a favorite among Blur fans. Yeah, Stone Cold. So. I mean, it should it should have been... This is the thing. This we'll talk about this later on but like all these songs are standalone but there's right. like a th- loose theme threaded between them right and it is Englishness you know and, and the reason I'm saying Englishness not Britishness is because when people think of Englishness as was Britishness it is that southern England right style, you know that London area the you know the the novelty Union Jack hats and the you know oh yeah stuff like that yeah so uh, this is called Trouble in the Message Centre and I don't like this song. Um, yeah. It's it's eighties, which is not. I don't much. have a problem with eighties. I just it, it didn't it didn't it didn't. It's a throwback. As the kids would say today, it doesn't slap. It doesn't slap. No, it's it's a throwback. And the problem is, is they're trying to make a, a more modern sound at the time, but it was a throwback to a sound that many people didn't like. 
it wasn't like 80s as in cool 80s it was in that you know right you know new new wave new wave crap. yeah 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 and just it was heavy it yeah. was a heavier song for than, than than most of the other stuff and it's got a weird uh, story about you know lyrics that were written on the back end of a receipt from a hotel so like a giant receipt that the hotel gives you with your itemized bill damon scrawled out the lyrics on it yeah, I mean, this is a story of people who spend too much time partying and taking drugs, yep. especially the rave culture that was formed in the UK at the time, yep. which is an offshoot of things that ha- that were happening in Manchester, Liverpool, and Scotland. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, if you've read the book Trainspotting, right, you know, right. and, and you've, I know this is going to sound obscure, but you've read interviews with the guys who did Red Dwarf, or, right. you know, the Stone Roses era, era and stuff like that, you know, there was a very, very big uh, pill scene for like right. the term, you know and it and again it's ironic you know because Damon Alburn Dave Roundtree the drummer and Graham Coxon have all mm-hmm. publicly admitted to having tremendous addiction habits yeah you know D- Damon Alburn like Damon Alburn was like you know try one get the get the whole set <laughs> you know um, right Graham Coxon was a, a notorious alcoholic and Dave Roundtree was a notorious alcoholic who turned to cocaine Right, you know, so I mean, and now they're all doing well. Don't don't get me wrong. This is not a knock. It it's just it was their way of saying, hey, there's something not right in my brain. Right, you know, that trouble in the message center. Yeah, yeah. But the bass and guitar are fantastic. On yep, this one. they are. Again, Alex James is the MVP of this album. I never give him enough credit until you got on center. I've I, when when I do the when I do this research, mm-hmm. right for for any of the music, it's it's albums that I've listened to, albums that I know. But it's right. only when I'm specifically listening to do this stuff that i realize how good or bad something was right and alex james's bass playing in this album is off the chart for a pop band and that's not trying to knock you know oh no you know because like most bass players do well in funk bands right not in modern pop music right and he was the mvp of this album absolutely the mvp of this album you know but the problem is is that the only good the only good thing about this song right is that the production was the 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 producers didn't produce this as tight as the rest of the the album right so it kind of added to the sound yes to the style of what was needed which is you know which is what it did need it needed something because it was missing something so yes all right this song is called clover over dover say that five times fast with a mouthful of clover over dover clover all right and it's basically talking about um, suicide. It's a song about suicide, about a guy who loves his loves this woman so much that he will do anything, including jumping off the White Cliffs of Dover. Yes, and it's not often that you have a suicide song with a harpsichord. No. <laughs> so, props. Now, the White Cliffs of Dover is like, you ever see, you know, you see pictures of England that show up on the thing and you got these magnificent white cliffs right you know that's what that's what it is the white cliffs of dover mm-hmm. very very iconic uh, british landmark uh vera lynn wrote a song called uh uh be bluebirds over the white cliffs of dover right during the war right and that's one of the inspirations they took off that but they also took a very seedy uh of course song right now i say seedy there's an Eng- there's a modern english folk song saucy saucy called roll me over in the clover right uh-huh and it's basically one of those it's formatted in the way of like one of those old school songs where you count from one to 
right. whatever. Right? right. And each verse is talking Talks about, about a different way that they plot out. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is in the 40s, it was very, very scandalous. Now it's like a, a favorite at the Renaissance fairs and, and stuff yeah. like that, where you get the, the big buxom wench singing it, you know. And they go into the crowd and they start, you know, right. fondling the guys up there because sexual assault is fun. <laughs> um, Jesus. Like yeah. For example, oh, oh, this is number eight. He bit me over the garden gate. Yeah. I mean, and then happily chill, you know. Yeah. And lyrically, this has got to be one of the darkness, darkest songs on the album. Yeah. But it sounds so pretty. Musically, is fantastic. Yes. It, it's, it's, you know, it's brilliant. It, it, yes, it, it is it a is. brilliant song. And again, it nailed, it, again, it, another nail very, It's very English. Very, yeah. very English. Very English. Which is a stark contrast to the next song. Yep. Because the next song is not supposed to be English. Nope. It's supposed to be all Americana. Yep. It's his Magic America. America. Magic America. You know, written as a social statement uh, at the overlapping of the UK and the United States culture. I don't think that has stopped. And you know what, what tells me it hasn't stopped? Mm-hmm. The fact that an American and a British guy are in America talking about a British album. The culture Are we a statistic? Don't you know it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it tells the story of a man who tries to engage in Americana... In spite of being a proud Englishman and mocks people for wanting to live in a magic place, magic kingdom, magic mountain, magic, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Also implying that this magical place does not exist. Yep. It really does not. No. Um, many people across the world were not as jaded at, by the U.S. at that point. We hadn't f***ed everybody. <laughs> now, eh, then... There was a couple people who still kind of liked us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and, and that's, you know, that's, it's it's not just politically, it was culturally, too. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, like, for example, right, um, they now have proms in the UK. Yes. People like my sister's age are like, why the f*** are we having proms? What the hell's going on here? You know? Oh, yeah. Comprehensive school is now starting to be called high school. Right. You know? And right. It's, it's complete overlapping of, you know. Yeah, because now you all have to go to school till 18. Yeah. Used to do that, thank God. <laughs> but the song replaces all the UK slang and Americanizes them. Uh, slightly jarring when you listen to it, but in a good way. Yeah. See, yeah, for you, for me, it was just a song. Well, yeah, I understand. Yeah, but no, what I mean is, is and I guess I should have, like, you know, I didn't have to actually use my Damon to American dictionary because you already time. were embraced in the overlap of the cultures. Well, there you go. Yeah, but I mean, if you if you if you listening to British 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 Cockney Jelly Deals, you know, apples and pears, apples and pears, and then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, Amer- like American English hits you, it's like a slap in the face with a paddle. Mm, that's you know, a paddle. They, they, they've they've taken away your cricket bat and hit you with a baseball bat. Mm. You know. But it was done in an English-sounding way. Yeah, that was the best part about it. Right. The, the irony of, of everything. Oh, yeah. You know. Musically, it's unique for the album with lots of sound effects. Definitely. Use the phrase, all the people, nine times in a drone at the end of the song. Yeah. So yes. Park Life wasn't the only song that was no, all, all the, the people. people. Yeah. The guitars and bass are, again, fantastic, along with an undertone of a Hammond organ. Yeah, Hammond. Now, you want to get- Love a Hammond. You, you want to you get English? Hammond, Hammond organ. organ. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's. I don't like this song. I really don't. I think it's what, a de- Magic America. Yeah, I think it's a. Re- I think it, it's okay. I think it's because of the departure of it. Yeah, and you got to remember, I'm probably the guy I'm who's sort of ta- ambiguous. I'm probably the guy they're talking about because I'd left home when I was twenty years old. Right. 
I came to Magic. But you didn't. You, didn't li- you mean you didn't leave England? No, I left. Well, I left England a few months before that, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a lot of the the things is this, right? You know, we talk about the crossing crossing over of American and British culture, right? British culture is basically English culture overlapping into Welsh, Scottish, and Irish right. culture. You know, and to me, as a guy who lived in England. Right. And lived in Wales. And in right. Wales, there's, especially Welsh to an Irish family, there's a lot of anti-English sentiment in there. Oh, yeah. Right? But at the same time, you know, our TV is English. Our sport is, quote-unquote, English. You know, right. Major sport. Right. You know, they're, they're, I mean, with all due respect to Portalba Town, you know, like, I have a cousin who... Uh, you know, is one of these. Fact, you've got better. Yeah, but in fact, well, at least uh, <laughs> Irish family, y'all. Um, he like is one of these guys who you know who who believes in the English soccer thing of support your local team, which is support your local team, support your local team. And what he doesn't realize is he has to drive past four football teams to get to Swansea to watch Swansea City play. Right. You know. Right. It's 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 a nice sentiment, but it doesn't translate to reality right and there are welsh there are elements of welsh culture that absolutely 100 percent need to be preserved at all costs yes but that's again different story different, different day. day all right this song's called jubilee i like this one actually i like it too um not because he, he, he reminds me of me um <laughs> <clears throat> but you gotta remember right back in the 90s back in this time the idea of a grown man playing video games or a woman playing video games was absolutely stupid. Slob, they lazy. Slob, lazy. Can't play computer games, video games. Oh, and he probably smokes weed too. You know, big pothead. Yeah. So it's, <clears throat> it's kind of. I'm supposed to say this. Nobody saw like the growth of video games as much as they grew. You know, nobody saw right that right. that they'd be grown men. I mean, one of my favorite YouTube video gamers is 82 years old. Yes. She is 82 years old. My other my other favorite YouTube gamer is 61 years old. Yes. They both play the same game. Um, so, you know, the idea that video games are now for kids, uh, were just for kids, is now blown out the window, right? Right. It is a very, very heavy song in terms of, you know, the the, the musical content. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the lyrical content, but the music musical content. And it does have, like, sound effects in the background. And... If you're British, you know the sound effect. There was like a button that you would press on the sound effects making machine, and it would make exactly those sound effects. Every every really yeah. You know that's you knew the order how it goes. But this is the thing. This is this was unusual for a blue song because it was mean. Blue songs weren't mean. They were storytelling. They, they told this, they told that. They didn't necessarily make a statement, but this was like, it's judgmental and condemned. Right. Which goes against everything that all the other musicians were doing at the time, which was, you're awesome. Be yourself. Right. Y- you're fantastic. Right. And this one was almost, well, if you do this, you're, you're a loser. You're a loser. And that goes against Damon's ethos, too, when you think about it, because, you know... Even when well, he wrote then Br- maybe it, the whole thing's ironic. Maybe. Don't you think? Hmm. <laughs> all right. We go to my favorite blue song of all time. 
There is no other way for me to describe it. This song is called This Is Alone. And, and this one was very psychedelic to me. Yeah, definitely. It, it's... Every album in the 80s, every hair metal album had that one acoustic song, right? Right. Every British album in the 90s had that at least one epic song, right? This not only was the ep- not only an epic song, this was probably their most epic song, and this should have been released as the fourth single. This was it, guys. If you've been paying attention, this is the song that, that yeah. we mentioned in the beginning. Yes. I mean, it like it's in the vein of things like Love Rain On Me. Right. And Champagne Supernova. Right. And, you know, it's just this big, bombastic blowout. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's got three guitar solos in the song, right? Graham's playing three at the same time. Yeah. I mean, dubbed, obviously. Obviously, and, like, <laughs> he, he tries to play all three of them live at the same time. And he kind of pulls it off because Graham Coxon is a phenomenal guitarist. Yes, he is. You know? Um, but Shiva, he is not. No. He <laughs> <laughs> can have that Bill Bailey six-neck guitar. Right. You know? Um the good thing about this is that like Damon Albarn uses his singing range not in the ha ho kind of way but more in the uh ha kind of way you know right I mean he like that that chorus not yelling but very very spirited spirited yeah um you know Iris by mm-hmm. Dooku Dolls mm-hmm. that's an example of, of a right. song that, that it's like mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. lyrically Right? Yeah. We've talked about Englishness all through the through the thing, right? Lyrically, this is probably the most English, English song, song on the album. Yeah. After all, uh, everything, right? Uh, I mentioned earlier, if you guys were paying attention, Damon Albarn listened to BBC World Service when they were homesick. When they were touring the world, promoting yeah. the album. So, you know, they had this song. They had the, they had the music. And they needed lyrics. And they had no idea right. where this lyrics was coming from. And... There's this thing on British radio, BBC World Service, called the Shipping Forecast. Right. And it basically tells you about the ocean traffic around the British Isles when you're trying to get into ports. Right. So for things like, you know, containers, ferries, um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want. That's what they're talking about. Right. Alex James would explain in an interview why... What, what what this has to do with everything, right? He said, for Christmas, I bought him a handkerchief with a map of the shipping forecast regions on it. You can never tell where the muse is going to be, was going to appear. We always found the shipping forecast soothing. We used to listen to it on the American tour to remind us of home. It's very good for a hangover. Good cure for insomnia, too. Yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, only Blue could write a song about one of the most boring topics. The shipping forecast. Yeah. The, the the boat traffic report. Let's let's, <laughs> let, let's not be fancy for a minute, right? You you couldn't write a song about you know uh, nine ninety nine point nine FM's traffic report with Davy Davison, right? You right. Do that. Right. How he wrote it, I still don't know. Years before SpongeBob. Years before SpongeBob, and they weren't even drinking that much or taking as many drugs as they eventually would. You know, mm-hmm. so how they did it is beyond me, right? But they make references to rivers, mm-hmm. British seaside towns. The Queen, mm-hmm. uh, Land's End, which is Eng- England's most southern point. Right. The Queen, she's jumped off Land's End, you know? Right. And you just think about it and you think, what? okay, this is such a boring sounding lyrics, but it worked. Right. And not only did it work, the chorus and the instrumentation pushed it over the top. Right. This song, right, is a, not only is it a favorite amongst Blue fans, it is a favorite amongst the band. 
they played at a pretty much every gig that they had except for their uh, best of tour mm-hmm. which is when they did all their singles from the debut to right when their best of album came out which i think was in 1999 right um and it was but it was the only album track to be on put the on, best that, of on the best of yeah which a lot of bands when they do their best of they just put you know they put what they what they like what they think is the best right blur did the whole single so it was the right. greatest hits album let's you know right and this was the only album song i mean this is possibly top three blur's best song and in my opinion it's top one like the, this this song right here makes the album from a four out of ten album to a seven out of ten album so this song is basically one of the re- main reasons why you wanted to do this review today. Partly. That and Park Life. Park Life. No. <laughs> but I, I, saying four to seven is probably a big stretch, but it right. definitely adds an extra point or a star to a rating. This yes. is one of those songs that does that, you know? Um, and this would have been the natural end to an album. Would have been. Would have been. Because mm. they just had to go mess it up. And they did mess it up. Yes. Lot 105 is an, quote, instrumental. Mm-hmm. Right? It's Hammond organ. Mm-hmm. Quirky bass line. Mm-hmm. Good drums. Yes. It is designed to be cheesy. Yes. And it does it... It, it does it masterfully. It does its job. It's yes. just in the wrong place on the album. Yes. All right? You've got, uh, you know, 16 bars of la-la-las, right? Mm-hmm. And then the final thing on the album here is 18 times a week of la-la-la-la. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the Hammond organ going, you know, <laughs> after the emotion that this is a little brought you through. Right. A friend of mine is a big R.E.M. fan. And mm-hmm. he said that um, I'll Take the Rain would have been the perfect ending to the album reveal mm-hmm. if they hadn't put Beach Ball out there. Right. Right. And this is the same thing. It, it does take the shine off it when you listen to the album concurrently. Right. They could have buried the song. After Park Life. Right. And it would have been fine. It would have been fine. In fact, it probably would have done a lot better after Park Life. Right. You know? But like I said, it's to me, this is a 7 out of 10 album. I can't give it any more than 7. I concur. And the reason why. Number one. 16 tracks. Yes. Little too long. Muy poquito. One and a half instrumentals. Yes. Boring instrumental and a an instrumental that is so out of place. Yeah, yeah an incorrectly placed instrumental. Yeah. The track order, I mean, like I said, the track order is fine. Lot 105 should have been slapped somewhere, buried in the yes. album. Uh, yes, three of the most iconic songs of this band ever did. Park Life, This Is A Love, Girls and Boys right. on this album. But it fed the narrative and kind of confirms the narrative that Blue were a great singles band. Yeah, because what's not singles-wise is not... It's just there. I mean, there's a couple, but not enough. When you have half an album that is just there... It's filler. Yeah. sixty. If you have a 16-track album, you need to make sure that at least 14 of those tracks are fantastic. And they only manage with six, maybe yeah. seven. Yeah. Not to say that the, the, the other eight weren't good. Right. But they weren't good enough. Well, let's talk about the legacy of it. Well, yeah, because, I mean, this was, like I said, this was seen as the foundation mm-hmm. of Britpop. This this, this was the spark. Because right. this came out before, definitely maybe by Oasis, mm-hmm. came out after the, the, the pulp and suede albums kind of laid the foundation. Right. This was the bang. This is the house on it. 
Yeah. I mean, it was considered the second of a three-part album series. Yep. Modern Life is Rubbish and Park Life were followed by The Great Escape. Yeah, The Great Escape. The Great Escape. I hate that album. I think it's. I think it's a dreadful <laughs> album. And the problem was, right? It was when the album came out. When the Great Escape came out, it was considered probably like the second right. coming of the White Album. Right. And then after people got a second listen to it and a third listen to it, we'll have to do that one. Out, we'll, that have one do, we'll have to do that one. Out. Basically, basically saying another this. season. Basically, basically put a, put it like this: when we reviewed Morning Glory, right? The review was listen to it. Thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. And then listened to it again after a couple of months and thought, wow, this is fantastic. It, the opposite was true with yeah, The Great Escape. because this is the thing. Oasis is singles that they release off their album. Some might say, eh. Roll With It, eh. Wonderwall, Don't Look Back in Anger. Right. And then you've got Morning Glory, Champagne Supernova, Cast No Shadow in there. Right. With The Great Escape, they released Country House. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Stereotypes. Ugh. Charmless Man. Okay. Great. Universal. Good. Mm-hmm. But if I was to say, pick the two pick, pick the two songs that are better. Wonderwall, Don't Look Back in Anger. Charmless Man, Universal. Eight well, out of ten people are going to pick the Wall, ones. Yeah. You know? And that kind of led to the band almost breaking up. All right. That, I mean, I mentioned earlier that Damon almost humiliated the Brit Awards. Right. You know, the band were basically held together. They did a Top of the Pops performance where they had a Rody and a cardboard cutout as two members of the band. <laughs> so what they did is in 1996, they all got together, they had a big argument, and each destroyed each other's CD collections and record collections. That is... <laughs> that was the joke that they said. <laughs> yes. And, uh, again, the so middle-classness of it. Yes. Graham Coxon didn't get drunk and yell at Damon's face. He broke his records. He wrote, he wrote a letter and, quote, burned his record collection. Yes. And they made Blur, which mm-hmm. was a lo-fi, rocky, woohoo, woohoo, grungy album. Yes. Ironically, yes, you know, and you know, again, th- this album won four Brit Awards, you know, and that that's a big deal. The Brit Awards are the UK equivalent of the Grammys, you know? right? And they don't have as many categories as the Grammys, right? You know, so winning four of them is the equivalent of winning like seven or eight Grammys, right? You know. And it led to both bands fighting for the Battle of Britpop. Blue won the battle, lost the war, and in terms of album sales, they became second fiddle. Worldwide gig sales, second fiddle. Ironically, when they lost their popularity with the with the music press and the and the mainstream fans, that's when Blue became Blue. better professionally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, artistically. So, you know, and all it took was Paul Weller slapping the heads together. There is a clip online right now, which I'm going to link in the description at some point. Please do. Oasis and Blur with Paul Weller, who was considered the godfather and, you know. The, the modfather. Hen, the, the henmother of that uh, era. Telling them what to do. So, that is it. Guys, what is your favorite song on Park Life? Let us know. Tell us on our social media. I'll put the question up there. It, it, you know, by, by the time you hear this, the question will be up there. You can tell us, what is your favorite song on this album? What is your favorite Blue song altogether? Do you like Blue? Do you not like Blue? Have we convinced you to go listen to this album? I think you should. I think you really, really should. If you were a fan of British music, I think you should listen right, to this album. Right, definitely. Sarah, 
Thank you so, so much for being here. You are most welcome here. I appreciate it. I know you were very, very busy working on some super secret squirrel projects. Yes. But before we go, I just wanted to make a brief announcement. Um, Unfortunately, due to circumstance, Mm -hmm. we are having to postpone the debut episode of the Salsa section until the first quarter of 2021. We've got a lot more research of what we've got to do. And it's going to be at least the first quarter of 2021. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it. We just... So, COVID has kicked our boo honeys. Yeah, COVID, my eight to five because of COVID. My super secret scroll mess. Yeah, kids, everything like that. So we're going to have to delay it, unfortunately. But don't worry. It's, it's coming. coming. It's coming. It's coming. And Sarah, thank you so much. If you want to get with Sarah, uh, maybe bad choice of words. <laughs> <coughs> if you have any questions for Sarah, just hit her up on uh, social media. Her uh, handles are in the description. Yes. Sarah. Thank you very much. You are most welcome. Thank you for keeping me company. No problem. Thanks for having me. And just remember that life. Blah, 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 blah. Park life. There you go. All right. I'll be back here in just a second. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, thank you to Sarah for uh, taking the time out of her very, very busy day. And trust me, it is very, very busy to uh, talk about this. And, yeah, it was good to have her on. And we will be seeing Sarah again soon. We're uh, talking of Blur's arch rivals. Me and her will be sitting down and talking about the top 50 Oasis songs that were released in the 90s. You don't want to miss that because there is some controversy, especially if you were an Oasis fan. Uh, That being said, uh, on October 6th, so one month from now, yeah. Uh, we're going to be dropping our first episode of the Oddworld series, Abe's Odyssey. Basically, what I'm trying to do is um, one of my favorite games of all time. That's going to be on the 90s game or on a YouTube channel. And I'm going to be going ahead and trying to save all 399 Mudokans across the two games that came out around about the same time. So that's going to be something fun here in the next couple of weeks. Also, this year, we are going to go ahead and do our charity live stream. We are going to be uh, raising money for the Movember Foundation, uh, which is a very, very important charity to me. Um, we might have some others that we might split the donation to. I don't, I'm not sure yet, but th- that's a very, very important charity to me because of some of the uh, issues that I've had over the most recent years. And this year, we're going to be doing FIFA, the Road to World Cup 98, one of the uh, greatest soccer games of all time. Uh, basically put, I am taking the Great Wales to the World Cup. Can I take Wales from the lowliest qualifier to the World Cup final? Just wait and see. So you're going to want to subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can go ahead and see that and, again, chip in when you can, okay? And that's pretty much it for this week. Again, you know, it's good to be back. Um, Last season was a very, very good season. We had to uh, end it, unfortunately, due to the uh, issues that we've had with COVID. And luckily, we found a way to work around them. So we're going to go ahead and work around them this season. We've got a full, full list of things that we're going to do. And starting with next week, I'm going to be joined by Greg Gregory. He's going to come and talk about three classic fighting games. Talking about Street Fighter 2 and Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Tekken 2, and Killer Instinct. Um, we're not going to be talking about uh, 
Mortal Kombat, partly because I wasn't a Mortal Kombat guy. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. But uh, partly because I think there's more depth to these three games than the Mortal Kombat, okay? Uh, that's pretty much it. So, guys, if you're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram, check out Because Maybe Network. Look us up on YouTube at bit.ly slash bmnetwork-youtube. And, of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and Tune In. So, hope everybody has a fantastic week. We will see you next time. Take care of yourself, and remember, all the people, park life. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm going to get off you. Take it easy. Bye. How come your squiggles are bigger than my squiggles? Because I'm making out with the microphone and you're not. <laughs> okay. And, I, and my voice is louder too. That's where the kids get it from? Yeah. I, okay. I, I project a little better. I project just fine, thank you. There you go. Your squiggles are now as, as, as <laughs> Shut big as Shut up. Mine. Okay. <laughs>